The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Steve Jobs and Einstein, Tesla. The point is that civilization wouldn't have moved forward without these different brains. Um, and you know, with, with different neurodiverse brains, for example, um, it's in the public domain that Duncan Bannatyne has dyslexia um, and Eddie Izzard um, on his shows has um, has talked about his, his dyslexia. And the, the, the outcome is, 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 is a beautiful difference in, in, in art forms, in, in, in business. Um, and I and I really wanted to say, look, look hey, this is th- 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 this stuff's going on as well. Um, and we need to be proud of that. So today I'm talking to Julie Jaggin, and Julie is an associate at Howard Kennedy. Julie's an autistic woman in law, and she's going to talk to us about her experiences during her career. So what was interesting about this episode is Julie was really at pains to talk about the positives about being autistic. She talked about the intersectional approach we have to have when we think about women who are autistic uh, and the masking that women do. And that was that was fascinating. The challenge for me, and I think listeners will find this challenging, is the language we use to talk about autistic people can really display our biases, even if we're not totally aware of it. It actually shows a certain attitude towards autistic people. So that's challenging. So Julie gives us some tips on how to speak about autism. And lastly, what can we do? What can law firms actually do to make it a more inclusive environment for autistic people? Julie will be sharing some of her advice uh, and practical things we can really do to make a, a valuable difference. The hearing. And Julie Jaggin, welcome to The Hearing Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Well, we've asked you here, Julie, because um, you have written an article for the Law Society uh, about neurodiversity and about women in law and perhaps late diagnosis for, for women who may be autistic. And I know you've got a personal experience as well. And I just wondered if you could firstly talk about what is neurodiversity? Sure, sure. Well, neurodiversity is, it's, it, it's incredibly broad. It covers a range of conditions, for example, autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, ADD, um, and, a, and a range of other um, conditions, um, for example, verbal processing um, disorder all of which are not exclusive they can be combined with each other but it's um, basically anything that's not what um, neurotypical people would call neurotypical whatever that means so it's anything that's not um, neurotypical in terms of the sensory experience of the world and how information is processed and how you interact um, with other people and, and, and just that your brain works a little bit differently to the neurotypical sort of default. Yeah, sure. That's helpful. Thank you. And just thinking about language, because I notice you use the word disorder and I've read somewhere that, you know, some people, and again, people have different preferences, don't they, in terms of language, but I just wondered what your thoughts were 
about using perhaps developmental difference? Is that more positive or accurate? Or are you happy with the word disorder? Because doesn't it have no? And I'm and I'm so thrilled that 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 you brought that up. Um, I I actually wrote um, um, an article for my firm um, just just something internally last week for Autism Acceptance Week, and the title of that annoyed me. But we'll come on to that. Um, (laughs) But essentially. I wasn't happy to just sort of say, accept us, you know, um, in, in, in a sort of plaintive way to the world. I, I want autistic people to be very proud of the way that their brains work, because um, a, a, a lot of um, what, 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 what some people are happy to term Aspies, I'm happy to use the word, um, you know, Steve Jobs, Alan Turing, they've mm. moved civilization forward, Nikola Tesla. Um, and... I mean, if if there is a very positive precedent to this that I referenced in my article, and about forty years ago, um, homosexuality as a diagnosis had been taken out of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the psychiatric manual that's used to categorise disorders. Um, That had been out of the DSM um, uh, since since at least the seventies. Um, but the stigma was still there. Um, AIDS was known as GRID. Um, you had a serial killer, Dennis Nilsson, um, who was allowed to get away um, with a lot because of attitudes, police procedures, all, all that kind of thing. Fast forward 40 years to now, and we have gay pride. It's a given. It's a wonderful given in our society that if we're at work, we don't need to mask our sexual um, preferences. We, we, we can celebrate that culture um, you know, openly without the shame. There's no disorder. It's just an accepted yeah. difference. Um, yeah. But, you know, go back in history and it was a disorder. You were labelled as something that was wrong. Yeah. And that's an incredibly negative thing to go through yeah. your life um, because you're not fitting in the neurotypical default that that's wrong rather than just a difference that neurotypicals don't understand. Mm. So hopefully that that does answer your question that no, there's too many Ds. Um, I would like a positive D, a difference. I I, I don't agree with the word disorder at all. It's so interesting because I think people don't realise that language does matter and it displays a certain attitude. You know, our thoughts affect our words, which in turn affects our behaviour, then in turn affects our actions. And some of this is so deep-rooted and deep-seated and we're not even conscious of the way we speak sometimes. I mean, so many law firms will say to me, how do we get people to disclose their disability? And even that word disclose suggests it should be shrouded in secrecy or, you know, you've got to conceal a hidden disability. Again, it has that negative connotation rather than just say, share your disability if you want to. Um, And it's very interesting language. So thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, so I know you've got a personal connection to this and I can hear in your voice already, Julie, you are very passionate about this subject. Um, you were diagnosed, I believe, uh, late in, late in life, I guess. You were 41. Yes, 41. Cool? Yeah. Could you just yes. talk us through your career today leading up to and following on from your diagnosis? Okay. Well, when I left university, I, um, got a training contract at a, sort of fairly large regional firm in Reading. And um, I, I mean, at the time, obviously, I didn't know I was autistic. I always knew I was a bit odd. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I seem to struggle with things uh, I, I, that, that life things that other people found um, very easy. Um, but the training contract was really where the autism showed itself because my social capacity um, was just exceeded immediately. Um, university, the sort of success criteria were sort of much more within my control. You study hard you know, the output is, you know, you get decent grades, although I had to dictate all my exams, uh, because my anxiety was so bad. And, you know, now now I have my diagnosis, I know why. But comparatively, um, sort of getting it right at university was a lot easier. You go into the workplace. And um, it was just trauma after trauma after trauma um, on my training contract. And I really didn't know um, you know, what I could do to fix it. It's almost sort of like being underwater and watching a play um, up above. All the characters are blurred. You know, you can't get out of the water to kind of change anything and you're, you're seeing live action, um, you know, things unravel. And, you know, and I would think, why can't I get this stuff right? Why is this person... Um, you know, what? Why? Why is this person so offended by, by um, how I've spoken to them or how I've looked at them wrongly in a corridor and all this social stuff that was just, you know, nothing prepared me for that. But anyway, um, just fast forward. Um, that was two years of hell. Mm. Um, and with my Aspie black and white thinking, because it was so awful. Um, I thought, well, I didn't do well in the South because I'm, I'm originally from Sunderland. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I should go back to the North. Um, so <laughs> um, without sort of having the sort of uh, rail, mental rail guards that I have now that come with security, I thought, great, if I go up North, I get away from this, I can start again. Great, that's the answer. So I went up to work in Leeds and Harrogate, where I knew nobody, um, for four years. And then when um, the, uh, it was about 2009, the financial crisis hit, um, I was made redundant and had to come back down south. Um, so I worked in regional firms for another eight years, six years at um, a good firm um, in Cobham, where I had a fantastic boss. I think it helped that she was um, uh, ethnically Chinese and uh, there's a sort of gentler, more accepting culture. I mean, there was a real beauty sometimes about how we would work together that we could just sit in silence for two mm. hours if we both needed to and there was no awkwardness about it and there was no social judgment that you weren't, I don't mm. know, making noise for the sake of noise. That, that's a very Eastern thing. Um, which I think helped because again, of, of obviously not not knowing. Um, so and and about four years ago, um, I came to work in London because um, I wanted to do sort of more international um, international work, working for high net worth families. Um, so I joined a family office about four years ago and but came back into private practice. And so now I'm at Howard Kennedy um, on, on, on London Bridge. Um, they're very aware of my um, my diagnosis. And um, yeah, I think it's I, I think it's, it's, it's a learning curve for both of us, because as I say, I was only I'm 42 now. 
Um, so I ha- it, it's it's still sort of a, a, a journey, um, figuring out you know how to live life better without sort of running into brick walls and having all the difficulties um, that I've had with my with my career. None of it is anything to do with the technical law. It's mm. just making tea and remembering someone's birthday and the social ramifications in neurotypical world if you don't do all that kind of yeah. stuff um right. so yeah hopefully that answers your question yeah and thank you for that and and what difference has the diagnosis made then for your working life did you need adjustments oh, it, now you, you've been open with work yeah. How, how's that going then um at, at, at my current firm, um, I have to say my boss was incredibly supportive and still is. Um, it's um, for me, it's sort of given me the self confidence to say no, because the thing is with a lot of particularly women who are sort of um, culturally conditioned to be people pleasers a lot more than men. Um, you always feel like you're failing if you're not saying yes to things that people want you to do, to go to this event or take part in this project or, you know, or always want to be seen to be doing, to, to, to not be lazy and do the right thing. And if you ever say no, um, you often get pushed back. Well, so-and-so can do it. Why can't you? And having the diagnosis gives you the confidence to say, well, I can't do things like someone else. Um, Yes, a lot of other people may be able to go to that social event after work, but having the diagnosis, you know you have to do your energy accounting because sensor. I mean, light. I hate. I hate artificial light. I I I cannot tell you the headaches I get from artificial light, which I didn't even know was coming from artificial light. Um, so if I have a day in the office where I've got all that artificial light I've had to travel on the tube and I have a ridiculous sense of smell that's not Mm. great if you're a commuter so all that sort of that that's costing me um you know depending on sort of whether I've had a client meeting that day that's okay because it's scripted and you know um it doesn't cause too much anxiety because you know that that that's that, that that's structured that's not an informal thing but it, it lets you know what things cost you, what are your energy credits and debits. So when someone says to you, oh, um, last minute, but can you go to this thing? You think, well, I haven't slept. I've had two client meetings today. I've been sat under that light. I'm prob- It's probably going to be hard. I am probably going to drink to get through it. I'm probably going to drink too much because I'm so overwhelmed. And it's I, I, I'm, I'm probably about two steps away from a meltdown. All that's going on in my head. I'm not articulating it, but it gives me the confidence to say, I can't do that today. Mm. I can counter offer it with something else. But when you get the pushback and saying, well, um, you know, so-and-so is doing it, I know what, you know, what is healthy for me to say yes to and to say no yeah. to and not to be gaslighted. By, 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 by reference to a neurotypical person because my brain works differently. Mm. Yeah, there's a saying to treat people equally. Equally, We sometimes have to treat them differently. You know, yeah, you've got not... to treat them with an, an, informed, an, an informed equal, I think, is possibly yeah, the way absolutely. of putting it. And so I can imagine having that diagnosis and being able to explain why there's certain things you, you are unable to do is helpful mm. 
um, because yeah. I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this who may think they they are autistic themselves or, or you know, perhaps looking for a diagnosis, maybe resisting the label, but actually sometimes it can be incredibly helpful to make sense of your own life and also help other people. Absolutely. If you are sort of, um, if any of this is ringing true, you, you, you've probably got a label anyway. You've probably got some label of odds. I know I certainly did. Um, so get the right one, because then if you know, you, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like trying to do a jigsaw without someone showing you the front of the box. Whereas if you have that, you, you, you know what you need to do to kind of complete the picture and make something, you know, perfect in that real sense of finished. You, you, you know, you, you, you want things to make sense to you and you don't want happiness and contentment and feeling good in your own body to be defined by someone else because um, an autistic brain has a completely different sensory profile. And a big thing that's missed off that is the fact that around about 80% of people with autism, myself included, have something called alexithymia, which is, it's this mind and body disconnect where someone asks you how you feel. And I can quite legitimately say, I, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. Um, or I can suddenly feel sick in the middle um, of a train station or, or something like that. And I have to work out why that is. I have to work out when was the last time I ate? When, you know, how much sleep did I get? Am I feeling sick? Am I feeling tired? Am I, is, is it a combination because I've had too much um, social interaction and I'm, and I'm too overwhelmed? Um, all these intuitive things have to be worked out quite mechanically for a lot of autistic people, and, and, and I speak only for myself, for my own personal experience, it will it will vary uniquely in every person that has autism. It's important to stress that. But um, that is a very complicated um, profile. Um, and if you don't know how it works, how on earth is anybody else going to be yeah. able to get the best out of you? How are you going to have your best life, whatever that means for you? Yeah. So that level of self-awareness, whether it means getting yeah. a diagnosis or understanding the condition or diagnosis is, is critical, really, before yes. you can ask others what support you may need. And, and I'm sure people really, I guess they're very well-intentioned, but it, I guess it's difficult for people to imagine if they're not experiencing something that, that you know you experience. So in terms of allyship, what can autistic people and their neurotypical allies do to make the workplace a better, more inclusive place for autistic people? Well, I mean, that's a big subject in itself, but have you no, got any sure. thoughts around that? I think it's got to start with us, really, in the sense that, um, you know, just like you wouldn't choose a person on, on a dating app if they were incredibly apologetic and saying, oh, well, I know I'm this, I'm that, but but like me anyway. Um, in the same way, if you're applying for a job, there is absolutely no reason why you cannot perform as well as a neurotypical person. You may have to do it in a different way, knowing what different aspects of the job cost you, how to work around that. And most of the time, um, autistic people, um, they can achieve the same outcome 
the different that, that they'll probably get there by a different route and they need that um uh, they, they need to be confident in that and that needs to exude from them you don't want and and it's part of the reason why i wrote the article because um most of the uh, material that i found um about autism uh, was just relentlessly negative and un- uninformed negative in 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 a, in a lot of ways which is why i wanted to highlight um um uh, admittedly the 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 autistic profile of 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 people with with a high iq like steve jobs and einstein tesla but the point is that we would you know civilization wouldn't have moved forward without these different brains um and you, you know with with different neurodiverse brains for example um it's in the public domain that duncan bannatyne has dyslexia um, and Eddie Izzard um, on his shows has um, has talked about his his dyslexia, and the the, the outcome is, is 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 a beautiful difference in in, in art forms in in, in business. Um, and I and I really wanted to say, look, look hey, this is th- 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 this stuff's going on as well, um, and we need to be proud of that. And yeah. you know, th- 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 these are famous people, but on a smaller scale, you know that that is. That's where it's got to start. Autistic people have got to know their profile, know their strengths, know what things cost them, and ha- but have the confidence that they can get. I, I mean, my career, I've gone through, I don't know how many backdoors. Um, Dr. Temple Grandin, a famous um, autistic animal behaviorist, she said exactly the same thing, <laughs> that her career has been by, you know, going through a lot of backdoors. Um, and that's fine. And that's absolutely fine. Um, so that's what I think autistic people can do is just know themselves and be proud of it. Um, and with neurotypicals, um, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry to reference Eddie Izzard again, but I mean, I mean when, when he talked about reactions to him being TV, as he called it, he said, well, most people don't give a monkeys. And I think that there's that there's something to be said for that. I mean, and it's logical. Um, most neurotypicals, when you sort of mention that you're autistic, as like, well, well, I'm, I'm indifferent towards it, and, and that's absolutely fine. There's usually only a problem where, when some need of theirs is not being met because of your autism. Mm. So um, I think um, it's. I think it's read the guidebook. Actually, is the answer. I mean, how how we solve things in life is. Uh, and as, as, as uh, and, and I mean um, how um, autistic people tend to approach life is is, is sort of a problem solving approach. It's certainly my approach, at least. And I think um, certainly for for going into law, that the 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 law wasn't the issue. Uh, going in, in in terms of the difficulties I had, the difficulties I had was just knowing how on earth people work. And I think with autistic people going into law. Um, there needs to be some sort of almost a, a handbook, which would probably be quite funny because if it's written from the point of view of an autistic person, neurotypicals, I don't know, maybe they'd see some humour in yeah. how a lot of what they do makes absolutely no sense from, from a very rational point of view. But without knowing these things that, you know, lots of meetings are about people ticking boxes so don't get emotionally upset when nothing happens as a result, you know, because 
when we invest our time and our emotion in something, um, it can be quite devastating when things don't turn out. But there's a lot of politics, there's beware the ticking of boxes, which um, which I would I, I would say to autistic people going into the workplace is, you know, that, that, that tends to be the default. Don't assume that anything is meaningful beyond people ticking boxes until you're shown um, to the contrary. Um, and, you know, who's upset with who and how that impacts yeah. on the situation. All this stuff, which you would never think that you would have to spell out so explicitly. It's the sort of what you have over um, a Sunday lunch type of conversation with your grandfather that that type that, that I assume in neurotypical world just gets done. That doesn't happen. You know, we don't have the guidebook to know this social stuff um, and how it affects how we will interact with it, knowing our profile, because um, an, another aspect of the diagnosis is emotional regulation, hyperfocus, intensity. So, you know, if we if, if, if we focus on a project that someone really didn't mean to be meaningful in any sense whatsoever and it's pulled for no reason that's devastating that's absolutely devastating um just as one example but if you know if you know how the game is played and you know how to sort of um allocate your energies that's okay you know we we don't mind rules um it's just that the rules are unfathomable um unless you've had 20 years to work them out like i have mm, mm. It's interesting. I think organisations are, you can tell me your experience, but I'm seeing more about having neurodiversity programmes such as, you know, the likes of EY, Google, Amazon, where they're specifically trying to recruit people who may be autistic or coming under that umbrella of neurodiversity because they recognise actually um, you know, it's, this is not just acceptance, as you you mentioned that word before. Actually, they've realised all those skills you've talked about, the problem solving, the creativity, the ability to concentrate for very long periods, pattern yes. recognition. Some of these um, skills that people have are incredibly useful for companies and actually makes them highly profitable. So they are specifically targeting um, people who may be autistic and 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 they should and you know the an, an, another big thing is that we don't have agendas you know I, I I certainly have had to learn intellectually um what other people you know possibly listening to this are thinking god how does she not know that intuitively well that, that's that's part of the diagnosis I had to learn intellectually that you know a lot of people out there are in, in, feel incredibly bad about themselves for various reasons and if you don't know how to dodge the bullets of their energy um you know that 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 can have devastating consequences for you and it's not even personal a lot of the time it's just um you know there can be agendas that someone who doesn't feel very good about themselves feels better by making another person less which makes absolutely no sense to me I, I've, I've never understood that Right. Well, why not just be happy that some someone's doing well, that there's positivity, that there's success somewhere, and use that as a model for yourself? But neurotypicals often don't do that, and and I I had to learn that intellectually. Um, but um, autistic people, we we don't do any of that nonsense in in the workplace at all. That there's no agenda. We're very straight. Uh, we don't play games. 
Um, and you know, we're, you know, we're often quite funny because, to be honest, if you lived in a world where nothing is geared towards your brain, you're going to make mistakes, and you know, you have to laugh about it, and that's that's fine. That, that that's okay. So yeah, it's not just the Rain Man stereotype of you know learning a load of facts and being accurate and all that good stuff. There's yeah. other quite nice um, you know stuff as well. Mm, sure. And is there a risk? I've seen a lot of organisations are talking about well-being and mental health and they may have thought, oh, we've kind of done disability or kind of difference. Um, That's our diversity strand over with. Is that the same with neurodiversity? Because I'm noticing a lot of organisations suddenly honing in on this. Um, And I'm concerned, I don't know what your thoughts are, that they think, you know, this is the latest hot topic, if you like, and then they they deal with it once, and then it's it's over with. It's not embedded in you know recruitment, career progression, promotion in the way that people, you know, to to make it fully inclusive. No, I I I um I, I mean, you and I, being this side of the label, I think it, it gives us license to be a bit more candid about what what's really going on. Um, I think, as as I say, I mean, the default. Is, is generally indifference unless you're sort of um, unless a neurotypical is not getting their needs met because of your neurodiversity. Um, but again, the default with organisations is, is really ticking boxes. Uh, some are better than others, um, yeah. but um, if 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 someone were coming to me, um, you know, saying, "Well, should I disclose?" for for example. I mean, that's a hell of a question, and and it and it really depends on the person. It depends on the firm, um, and and it depends how obvious your autism is. I mean, um, gen. I mean, this is very general, but um, yeah. females tend to have learned eye contact a bit better than the boys. That's that's not to say that's a rule, but that there are things that will. Um, uh, that will make your autism more obvious um, than, than others, and 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 if it is obvious then I, I would probably say employ a different strategy than if it's um, not obvious and if you've had negativity in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, that there's different politics, there's different dynamics. You're, you know, um, people will weaponize a weakness in the wrong environment and it will be weaponized differently by males than it will be by groups of females. So it all depends on the organisation Um what I mean, what Dr. Tony Atwood um, uh, suggests is, is if, if you're not sure, then rather than saying the A word, which is, you know, the, the, the person hearing that word will input their own probably, I mean, they're going to think Rain Man because that's a sort of cultural default. Um, rather than sort of saying I'm autistic to someone who may not prob- or probably doesn't know what that means, he recommends saying I'm the sort of person who... Um, I prefer to read ahead of a meeting to know what's happening so that when I go into the meeting and hear all the different points, I can better assess sort of the relevance and I and then I can come out of the meeting sort of better able, you know, to do to do the minutes, for example, if, if, if you've been, I mean, that would be hell to me to have to do minutes for a meeting yeah. because, as I say, most meetings, you, you you have to sift through every time. Well, well what's the relevance of, of this point compared to what someone else has said? Because people go off on tangents all the time. 
um, or I'm the sort of person I can't really work in, in that light. Um, they may join the dots and say, ah, oh, she's mentioned a sensory issue. She's mentioned an issue about how her brain, they, they, they may join the dots. But until the, until the organisation gets to know you, um, you don't know how they're going to treat that information. And I have seen women who have, um, you, you know, assumed a level of understanding that wasn't there in the organisation and it has been weaponized. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I, my, my personal opinion is if you haven't been bullied, you're probably not autistic because the playground never goes away. It's just the techniques of how they bully you change in the workplace. And it, and it, it depends on the genders of the people that are, that are bullying you. Mm. So I'd say be careful, I, I think, is the short yeah. summary. No, uh, that's very that. can candid advice based on, on experience. And I think what you said actually could be very empowering, one, to be self-aware, but actually to be the ability to clearly articulate, not just a label, I'm autistic, and people, neurotypicals, don't tend to know what to do with that information. But if Correct. you're actually yeah. saying to someone, this is the solution, or this is a practical yes. thing you can do to make my job easier that gives people the tools to be able to do something with that information. And that's an incredibly empowering position to be it, in, it, you, I think. You've, you've hit the nail on, on the head because, as, as I say, and this isn't, with, um, this isn't an attack on neurotypicals, this is entirely um, logical, that you know, they are indifferent unless your neurodiversity is meaning their needs aren't getting met. So I rather think that's than, human nature, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, so, so rather than if someone says I've got cholera or I've got tuberculosis, you, you kind of know how to act on that information. But if someone says I'm autistic, um, they're probably you know they're, they're probably not going to know what to do with that information. So make their 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 task easy, you know, bring it in and just hone in on the practical implication of what your autism means for this situation. And how you need to do something a little bit differently. You don't need to go into all the well. I've got emotional regulation issues, and you know, I, I have a hyper-focused interest in this or the. You know, they don't need to know all that. But just in, in in this situation where you're having trouble taking notes in a meeting, for example, I'm the sort of person who takes in information like this. It would help me if I could do this before and this after. Mm. You know, and or, 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 or maybe record so practical. You know, you know, yep. sort of take away the practical problems that that, that pr problems in inverted commas yep. uh, that that come to that situation. That this reminds me of, I don't know if you're familiar, and listeners may not know this, but the medical model and the social model of disability. In that, the medical model says it's the disability or the impairment or whatever word you want to use, the condition which disables somebody. And that's and people almost need fixing. I put that word in, in inverted commas. There's something deficient or wrong with them in inverted commas. The social model completely turns the medical model on its head. It says that what is disabling isn't the disability or the impairment or the condition necessarily. What is disabling are the barriers put in place by society. Yes. It could be attitudinal yes. barriers. It could be environmental barriers. So that sensory overload. Um, it could be just basically trying to fit people into square pegs into round holes and realizing people just need to work differently and when you remove those barriers again focus on what's getting in the way rather than I have to know everything about autism and what that means you just have to know the impact and how do you seek to remove those barriers 
that that disables people the barriers put in place by society uh, once i knew that as a disabled person i found that incredibly liberating because i realized i wasn't the problem actually in the environment was and then you can thrive in an environment where people are focusing on you know the barriers but law is very traditional and wedded to very traditional ways of working and and i don't know what your feelings are on how progressive the legal industry is um, profession when it comes to hiring and um, progressing careers for autistic people what what's your general impression um i i i i mean the firm my current firm uh, you know that the, there's certainly no uh, issue there and you know they have some firms will um talk the talk but you know they they have walked the walk and you know the 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 it, the, the, the only issue that they had was sort of just the lack of knowledge um okay. about it but um I, I i i would say there are a lot of practical um barriers um i mean the interview process i i i my previous firm was cultishly social. It, I mean, you, you had to spend four hours, you know, with people you couldn't stand making plasticine. Um, and that was meant to sort of, I don't know what that was meant to do. I had to drink to get through it. It was, it was just awful. Um, but if you didn't do it, there was social judgment that people were very ready, you know, to kind of seize yeah. upon. So, um, I, I mean, that the, there's social, 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 um, not in the sense of sort of meaningful connection and, and, and friendship or anything, but just to me, just seems like making noise. So, for mm. example, as part of an interview process, you can be asked to, um, oh, you're in a room. Here's here's a networking event. Show me, show me how you would, you know, talk to that person. Which is which is you know that's autistic hell because it's a big it's it's a big unstructured question you're meant to just be there's no kind of script you don't know these people um and you know that 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 can be so overwhelming it would cause a shutdown whereas if you sort of gave the person you know if if you kind of made it into a case study to say here's some facts and maybe give them the case study in advance um, of you, you, you know the meeting so they could prepare rather than let's just put you in a room with a load of people and see what you do because um, <laughs> you know at the end of the day that that's that's not showing how well someone can do the job a lot of the criteria that are, are, are used to assess whether you're a good employee both at the interview stage and once you're in the organization um, not a lot of it has got to do with how well you can do the job. Mm. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I would put in, you know, the sort of ideal guidebook that, you know, an Aspie going into law um, would read. Um, don't think you're safe because you're clever. Clever will not make you safe. Being social will keep you safe. Um, and this is what being social means. Um, and it's totally illogical. But this is what you have to know. And so you can assess for you how much um, it's going to cost you. So I've done a thing, I've gone off on a tangent there, but um, uh, to, to, to answer your question, I, I it's just not on the radar. It is mm. just not mm. on the radar um, of, yeah. I, I mean, I think law firms are sort of vaguely, you know, um, 
you, you know that that they're, they're very hot on sort of um, uh, sex discrimination and equality on and race, all that kind of thing. Um, but I uh, neurodiversity is just not on the radar, and I, I think it's because it's come in at an unfortunate time, because. Um, you know, quite rightly, after Black Lives Matter and uh, Me Too movement, there's been a big reckoning of, you know, how it's acceptable to treat people. I mean, I've had to fight my way out of, you know, a senior partner's car when I was a a trainee because I couldn't read the signals of why he was offering me a lift home, you Mm. know, that kind of thing. You can't do anything because general rule, if someone makes Mm. enough money you can't do anything. Um, and that was the same principle applied, you know, with, with Harvey Weinstein, um, you know, uh, men used to come up and pull my back of my hair and, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know, which has only really changed in the last 20 years. So the big discussion about all these things, it's sort of in the emergency room, um, of um you know sort of debate and I think people are scared to say anything yeah and I think that that there needs to be an intersectional approach in that we have intertwining identities you know I identify as a disabled woman you're you're an autistic woman and actually you know being able to read the signals that may put you in greater sort of uh risk of 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 danger or, or being a, a bit more vulnerable right. I don't usually like that word but more susceptible somehow yeah um well this does ring true because I don't know if you're familiar and listeners will find this useful because people probably think I I don't know where how to how to support people how to to be more aware about the issue the legally disabled research which was done by Cardiff University and the lawyers with disabilities division at the law society looked at the career experiences of disabled people uh, in the legal profession, and we looked at um, interviewed barristers, a few judges, paralegal solicitors, um, and and we found that law firms um, really do treat disability. When we talk about those other diversity strands, they're really it's very much the poor relation, um, yes. and really wedded to traditional ways of of um, working. But the legally disabled research looks at. Um, the findings and also some great recommendations how to have a more inclusive disability inclusive uh, working environment and also we've done some work with uh, reasonable adjustments guidance as well because I think adjustments you've been talking about some small adjustments sometimes can make a huge difference mm, in the way yeah. that you, you can work and you can thrive at work it, it, we could talk about this all day because this is you can tell this is one of my subjects as well is there anything else, Julie, you would like to say um, just to finish off this episode? For, for you really want for people to understand. Um, uh, well, I, I mean, the, the reason the reason you've contacted me is because of the article um, that I wrote for the Law Society, and the reason I wrote the article was to you know to shine a light and to put a positive, a very real positive note um, um, uh, on, on autism spectrum disorder. And I suppose um, my end positive note would be, you know, it's okay. You know, I've done it. I'm 42. Um, I've been, you know, practicing best part of 20 years. I've done it with a heck of a lot of drama and struggle, but I'm still here and I did it. Mm. And this new generation coming through, 
they will have the benefit of, you know, older women like me, science has moved on. And, you know, we can only go up and we should all be proud of our beautiful neurodiverse brains. I love that ending. Julie Jagin, thank you so much for sharing so much of your life and very personal as well, but I think it will help so many people. So thank you so much for being a great guest. My great pleasure. Thank you. The Hearing. Thank you so much for listening. And as ever, we would love to hear your feedback. Like and subscribe. And also, if you've got any thoughts, if you think about topics you want us to explore, or maybe you want a guest to be interviewed and you're dying for them to be interviewed, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.